but I wasn't thinking at all because I'm stupid that I was licking the bowl a lot. It'd be like, oh, darn, I got it all sorted out. And I'm like, how's that spoon doing? You know, <laughs> I would just be eating, you know, like brownie, raw brownie uh, mix, you know, motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> everybody welcome to one fucking hour uh, your host evan husney uh joined of course to my left uh by tom fitzgerald tom what's up hey what's up <laughs> <laughs> i'm never uh, gonna get it right it's I always know. gonna be awkward. <laughs> yes it will be it will be it will be uh <laughs> and to my right uh we have uh marcus herring marcus what's up guys i'm phoning in hey. from uh <laughs> Yeah, my, that's the uh, Aloha kid, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> doing a radio show, so yeah, in this uh, in Palm Springs, but I'm not here for Coachella, so okay. Yeah, you yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marcus always uh, coming to us from on location. Uh, Undisclosed. Uh, he gets around. He does. He does a lot more. He gets around more than uh, Delta Cron or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, all right, everybody, welcome to episode. Hey. Episode twenty five. Oh my hour. god, man! Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I can't believe we got that much under our belt. I know. Under Here real. we go. Um, and uh, this fucking hour is, of course, on uh, the nineteen seventy eight film "Remember My Name," directed by Alan Rudolph. And guys, I'm going to start that clock. So let's the do dreaded it. clock. Okay, here it goes, and begin. All right. Let's get everybody a quick heads up on what the movie is. Um, Remember My Name is the 1978, check this, I'm calling it a neurotic noir, uh, directed by Alan Rudolph and produced by Robert Altman. Uh, It tells the story of Neil Curry, played, of course, by Anthony Perkins, who lives a seemingly happy life with his wife, Barbara. Uh, And she's played, of course, by uh, Anthony Perkins's uh, real life uh, partner uh, Barry Berenson, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, Barry Berenson. They were married, so his they were wife. married. Okay, his wife, yeah. Barry Berenson, uh, in California. Their life of domestic bliss is disrupted when mysterious ex-con Emily, played of course brilliantly, masterfully by uh, Geraldine Chaplin, uh, who is later uh, revealed as Neil's first wife, uh, begins to stalk the couple and wreak havoc in order to claim Neil back. So this is it. Uh, remember my name, but of course, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about man. You can't even see this fucking movie. So, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah, it's never. Um, this is rare. Uh, this has never formally had any kind of home video release of any kind. Meaning, um, you know, even some very obscure films today that aren't on Blu-ray maybe had a VHS in 1982 or something like that. You know, those are deep cut movies and sadly hard to find in good quality. But this one, um, you're, you've only ever been given the chance really through like TCM. <laughs> uh, TCM airings and uh, kind people who wound up uh, TiVoing or, or, or VHS recording it. So, Thank uh, you, Ted Turner. Right. Yeah, and really. You can, you can dig and, and find a bootleg DVD like this one right here. Uh, Hello. Which I, which I have. Uh, and of course, anybody listening, uh, if you're watching this episode and you want to see the movie, definitely follow us on Instagram. It's in the comments of the video. And DM us, and we'll hook you up, man, because this movie is worth watching. Uh, and yeah. many of you did DM us to see it, and we sent it off to you, so hopefully you Great. checked it out. And um, let's get into it, though, Tom. It's, this- uh, it, it, well, because I was going to say, it's one of the films that really is uh, totally level in worth seeing and the hard-to-seeing-ness of it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, sometimes the, 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 the scales aren't quite as even, but, like, this is... Uh, Really, one of the top couple films that are is criminally underseen, sure. that uh, still to this day, you know, twenty twenty two, probably has nothing in sight uh, as far as a release, and it's just it's just a shame. So, uh, well, okay. Speaking of, I first saw it. I'd heard of it a little bit, but first saw it in the nineties. Okay, me and my dumb friends and dumb me uh, were like, let's make pot brownies some random <laughs> night. I was, and I was like, for some reason, I was in charge of this. The um, you know, the stirring. And what I wasn't thinking at all. What year is uh, this? 98, 97. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Let's go back in my, your mind. Mm. So uh, to those Sugar wild. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sublime. Right. 
<laughs> uh, lots of sublime, yeah. Um, lots of uh, Puff Daddy. So the thing is, um, I wasn't thinking of doing the math. I thought, well, man, I should temper this. I've heard it gets really heavy to do brownies. Okay. So I'm like, well, I'll just have one when it's done. But I wasn't thinking at all, because I'm stupid, that I was licking the bowl a lot. It'd be like, oh, darn, I got it all sorted out. And I'm like, how's that spoon doing? You know, I'd just be eating, you know, like brownie, raw brownie uh, mix, you know. And oh. so I got frighteningly stoned. Nothing even close ever before or since. And I, and I hated it. It was terrible. Maybe some other people have had that experience. There is such a thing as getting too stoned. And I don't know what kind of strain of pot it was. Maybe it was like, you know, paranoid extra, you know, or whatever. So I lost my mind. It was the middle of the night. Me and my girlfriend were settling in and like it hadn't happened. But then it came roaring in and it was just like, oh, you know, and I was like, I hate this. And I, I literally was doing this. I cannot be inside. I can't be inside. I can't be in walls. And then I just run outside to the street and I'm like, this is worse. It's like everything's raw and out of control and I have nothing. And there's cars and people and strangers and noises. And I, I got to get back in. So I finally relaxed a little bit. So long story short, what I'm saying is, is that this was, of course, the can my mind state when I first saw remember my name. I switch on TV to calm down. Perfect. It's like midnight or something. I know, right? Great and I was. I know, but really, I was totally, I didn't really know much about it. I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't know what to expect. So I was completely out of my mind, blown away. And I was holding on to every tiny, subtle nuance. And we'll talk more about the nature of this film, but like right. the quiet, the stillness, the isolation, the loneliness, the empty spaces, the dead streets of Southern California, which I knew, born and raised in that area. We'll talk about that. But all that was so incredibly vivid, you know, it was that crushing stoned, I was calm, I was calmer now. So I was just deep, regular, deeply stoned. And it was just, and it got inside every cell of my, my, my brain permanently. And it was a very special film experience. And it was just beautiful and so perfect. And by the end, I was just blown away by her, Perkins. Yeah. So that's how I first saw it. And um, amazing. I don't know. Uh, this was yeah. Like and a so, frequent. Sorry, this was a th th this was a frequent <laughs> movie that I was on cable, right? Like this would always be on cable or, or not. Was uh, that... I don't know how often, but it was on cable okay. enough. It was on like TCM. T Actually, I watched it last uh, year on TCM. Right. Like in the morning, like uh, like Saturday morning. Uh, and it was Amazing. great. It was, you know, it's great to revisit. No, TCM <laughs> has it in s some kind of rotation. You know? I got it. So, so Marcus, though, this was your first uh, viewing of this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not really. It's my first How time seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah, I was like about zero percent stone, but I, I felt yeah. And he, but uh, yeah, I don't really, really know that much about Alan Rudolph. Like you know, I'm a Altman fan. I like. I remember uh, reading about Geraldine Chaplin. I like Anthony Perkins. So it was a good movie for me. But um, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, uh, the only thing I knew about Alan Rudolph was Tom was getting me really sprung on the soundtrack to. Uh, Welcome to LA once and yeah, we're kind of goofing on that and uh, you know one night very very late so it, you know I always had a, an image of his film anyway it was very rewarding film I'm glad I glad to sit through it yeah and welcome to LA <laughs> remember my name yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I welcome gonna... to LA those songs yeah wow can we do that one sometime sure sure yeah yeah, yeah. it's it'd be very interesting actually yeah well, um. Welcome mm -hmm. to L.A. is Alan Rudolph's first film, um, and we should talk a little bit well, about Well, not quite. It? uh, Just not? two seconds. It's like he did Exploitation, and that's mm -hmm. his first real film. Welcome, okay. welcome to uh, okay. L.A. Um, but he did um, Hippie, Exploitation, uh, Premonition, and uh, he, he did – hey, somebody had to direct Barn of the Naked Dead, and he right. did it. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, he made, he, so, made, he made trash in the early 70s. But, then, but we yeah. should say about Alan Rudolph as the director of this movie is that he is the protege of Robert Altman, and he yeah. worked as an assistant director on uh, Long Goodbye and Nashville. So he kind of he's, he's he's coming up from Altman, and of course, as I said at the top of the show, Altman uh, produced this film, probably put his name on it to help it get some more exposure. But um, yeah. one thing that's interesting that Mr. Rudolph said about this movie uh, that's kind of clipped everywhere. You when you if you read any uh, review of it, he basically calls uh, "Remember My Name" um, an update of the classic female melodramas of uh the betty davis barbara stanwyck and joan crawford era um which is interesting because i don't really see that in this i see it more like uh uh kind of noir like i actually kind of see it more like a cape fear or um more like a even a deeper cut uh sort of act of violence one of my favorite noirs of all time 
both those movies are kind of are you know about the stalking and disrupting of domestic life and you're looking to get revenge yeah. on the people that are responsible for you uh, being in jail you know that's kind of, and 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 that disruption of domestic life as it's pictured in this movie is very intense and and so terrifying so you know? well done so well done. if i could just if i can just interject real quick it's funny you should say noir i've i've that's a shorthand i guess even rudolph the director uses that um uh you know referencing noir and i just i get the point uh in the plot you know but it what's so cool about it is that it doesn't have any of the stylization of noirs which exactly. probably would have tempted which would have tempted lesser directors like what i mean is there is no music except i mean these the alberta hunter songs that only really happen with her they're like her theme music you know right. and that i'm saying that's separate than like dramatic music you know a score so it's just flat as a pancake sonically outside of the alberta hunter music um and and that's not very noir like there's no like su suspense building music that kind of thing and just right. all that more and, and what we're saying well what we were saying off the air was just um one of the things i respond to i was born and raised in long beach california and, and around the late 70s, I, became, I kind of went, um, you know, I became um, sensitized to my environment, and which is exactly what this film feels like. Mm -hmm. um, just Southern California, it's, it's a strata that's more and more outside of Los Angeles now, kind of priced out, but just working class people and neighborhoods and storefronts they go to and work at, people who take the bus, I mean, people still do. It's, there's still more diversity in, um, you know, uh, people's income in this big city, unlike, you know, San Francisco, New York. What I'm saying is um, th there's less and less of that. And it's a great snapshot. Take my word for it of um, I call it like the thrifty drugstore parking lot back alley L.A. And I don't think anybody does it better than Rudolph in uh, creating a place. And that, again, what I'm saying is how he depicts it is uh, it's not stylized and it's not romanticized except the bar scenes. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. there's very little stylization. So all I'm saying long-windedly is that like um, uh, it's an incredible thing where it's it's noir tropes and with incredibly flat naturalism, of course, like like a an Altman. Altman right. is most naturalistic. Altman right. is most naturalistic. Like um, California Split. That's mm. very like shitty Reno parking lots and um, bathrooms in like bedding joints. You know, like the dog races or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like and and so. Um, we uh, I love movie. that because um, you know, and he does it. He does it more subtly than I think some of the times that um, Altman does genre tropes and plays with genre in generally. You know, even like like he does it in such a subtle way that the the point of the film is the characters and the storytelling, and not so much like the uh, the, the pyrotechnics of filmmaking. You know? So I'm rambling, but just open up some topics. The naturalism meets kind of classic Hollywood storytelling. What do you think? What is your impressions? Oh, man, 100%. I mean, I think one of the, like, when you combine that aspect of this movie, of that um, amazing naturalism, but also with, I know this is something we want to get into with this movie, is just that th this film does something that leapt out to me watching it again uh, just earlier today, is that it does an incredible job of holding its cards in terms of, it doesn't reveal yeah. the exposition of, you know, the yeah. fact that she's an ex-con, uh, that you know she used to be with uh, Anthony Perkins and what they're and you're still trying to get a sense of what their past life together was and it's revealed very slowly throughout the whole film and yeah. I know that Marcus uh, there's these great visual sort of metaphor uh, moments along the way that help us reveal that right off the bat right I mean definitely yeah, I think it's just Briefly to the point you're saying, it's amazing how they, they hold it out till they almost, you don't really understand her till the very end, you know? Right. And like, and, and the tone of the movie changes somewhat, you know, from her being yeah. like, a, um, uh, like she's sort of like a villain. You think she's maybe a villain up yeah. until the last like two minutes. And then you realize she's like, she kind of earns a protagonist type thing in the last two minutes. It's pretty amazing. And then with Perkins, I feel like you don't realize that he's somewhat complicit in the whole thing until like an hour and. 30 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes into the movie and you start to get a different feeling for him too. So yeah, I, I do think that is mm -hmm. an incredible job of like maintaining the audience's attention, building that intrigue. And then like once it's revealed, it, things are, uh, meaning is added to the story, you know, and, and it changes your, your sort of interpretation of the story. So it's really masterful in yeah. terms of a film that way. I didn't want to move on to talk about uh, the symbolism until 
uh, I briefly mentioned that, but I think what you're referencing just in terms of like uh, the symbolism is that there's a handcuff shot, right? And like there's there's something about this movie that um, just backing up a little bit, I think that he almost approaches it like yes, it's about he's influenced by films, you know, he's influenced by, uh, but I think he's also influenced by something. Other than films, just like a, maybe an era where directors didn't just like reference movies and TV shows. Like I feel like there's a literary quality to this film, almost mm-hmm. like if a film is like uh, like to like uh, what a novelist is to a book, this filmmaker is to the film. You know, and like I think that the, some of the ways that comes out is like in the um, the like there's a lot of uh, symbolism and uh and and things that are objects that the camera sort of lingers on. And in some, I feel like like there's a uh, just for example, it, it lingers on this handcuff shot. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the film, she's in a she's in a department store, and we see some handcuffs like on the edge of a of a uh, mannequin, and it lingers on there for a second. And it's one one link is undone, and one link is still on the mannequin. And like, if you pay attention, you realize like that it's a symbol saying that she's like halfway inside the prison still, and halfway mm-hmm. halfway free in the outside world. You know, she's sort of between those two things. I think a lesser film, or like maybe today on a film. There's, they would try to use that as like a Chekhov's gun or something and say like they linger on that handcuff and the director would have her like steal the handcuffs and use them later. You know, like everything is like plot driven objects and stuff <laughs> these days. And yeah, I feel like this is like it's used. There's so many other moments in the film that use it as like symbolism and are like yeah. the same with an author was like a metaphor in a book or something. It's more powerful, deeper yeah. meaning than just like plot you know you know maybe the word here is subtle i know that seems like uh it's that word gets thrown around a lot with a lot of films but um this is one of the great examples of uh, the powerful subtlety in a film and how much uh power can happen in in the smallest nuanced ways and he, and he totally he totally does it. it it never gets that big you know it never gets that there's there's little and you know what when, he, when a movie like this is keeping a low keel when something does get kind of big, it's incredible. Like when he stabs the guy with the pencil in the armpit or the incredible knife confrontation in the kitchen, it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in the context of just a mood piece. So it makes, uh, it punctuates um, any kind of quote unquote action. And uh, that's, you know what, that's bold and not everybody can do that. And most people don't even try because it's kind of scary. To make right. something so subtle, because you're trusting your audience. <laughs> that no, part, of course. That's well, part of it. but it also it's just it's just it's really masterful writing, and I think what, I mean you know exactly with that shot, that amazing shot when you see the handcuffs, you know, and and you get that sort of idea of well, what's going on here? Because we are there's a lot of emphasis on that, but I think the scene when it really hits you that Emily, you know, Geraldine Chaplin's character, uh, is in ex-con is in that first scene when she sort of strong arms. Uh, getting the job with Jeff Goldblum. Great early Jeff Goldblum performance, you know, by the way, mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, and uh, he mentions uh, to him that there's that great exchange when you kind of find out that Jeff Goldblum's mom is was in prison with Geraldine Chaplin. Or and still then, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Right, is still in prison. Yeah. And then uh, says, uh, yeah, you know, she has her own shower now and she's uh, yeah. she, has, she, she has work detail now in the slammer. And so it's just, that's just a great way to reveal. Yeah, I hear you. You know, like. I picked up on that too. Filmmakers, writers, take fucking cue on that shit. That's the way to do it, you know, if you need to slide in some oh. exposition, you know. Every, yeah, I know what you mean, very subtly. Uh, exposition of all kinds too. Like, Every word that she says or action, you learn more about the character. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I think maybe, you know, like uh, like with Buddhism, like we need to um, not talk about the branches of this film, but really talk about the, the trunk. You know what I mean? And that's the performances uh, of right off the bat is uh, Jillian Chaplin. Um, she's a great actress uh, overall, like pretty much you can count on her in any film she's in. But oh my God, this film. I mean, it's boring to talk with hyperbole, you know what I mean? But um, it is a tour de force and I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around it. I wonder if uh, maybe some females, not to get into gender, but like might really pick up on some really special nuances because I was thinking about this, like how many films uh, where the lead is an, an unlikable lead, a confusing lead, that's a female role. I mean, that's very common to have an anti-hero. That's nothing at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, male, male, excuse me, you know, anti-hero male. 
but um, she's such a complicated character. And you guys were referring to this earlier where um, I don't know if you really, your opinion, I don't know if she evolves in front of you on screen, I think, which is, I think, very interesting. I think you see different aspects of her, but it's not a progression, which is a very normal way to do character development, which is just like, ooh, she's mysterious. Why did she break that window? Or why is she yelling at somebody? You know, and then it's explained. You know, the key opens the door. It's actually, I'm still befuddled by her by the last frame. You know what I mean? So what I mean by that is uh, not the more you know about her, the less you know about her, but more that she's just more complex is all I really learned about her. And I think um, just in, in tandem with her, learning more about her and still being mystified is their relationships. I just want to open that up. Yeah, yeah. That I, I'm intrigued because we find out, you guys mentioned this earlier, you find out a bit more like they were married and whatnot. But I have a lot of questions about their relationship. He was a bit of an enabler, for instance. I'll shut up. But he explains to his current wife, you know, like, um, it wasn't murder, you know, like, well, like it, looked, say, it looked I, like murder. And it's like, what is their relationship? It's very, very intense, you can tell. And it feels like two very messed up people got together 12 years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to explode. Yeah, the the, the um, j just to kind of marry your thought and what I was saying earlier about the sort of exposition unfolding, which is so brilliant with this movie, then let me just get into her character, if, if I can. It's like that scene, you know, it's so amazing how, um, you know, uh, when she throws the thing through the window, which is an incredible, that whole sequence is amazing too, and then he runs out after her, hey, you know, you as the audience, you think this is just some random person who is mm -hmm. uh, terrorizing this this family, of course, and then he lies to his wife. But then, as the movie goes on, you find out that uh, you know there's this involuntary manslaughter situation that happened when they when Anthony Perkins and and you know and 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 Emily were together, right? And mm -hmm. then, of course, he's like, "Well, yeah, you know, it was it was an accident, but uh, it was meant to look like a murder." And you're trying to picture in your <laughs> yeah. mind what the fuck that I means. Know. Uh, like, but, excuse me, a prequel right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. You I know? think even one reviewer described this movie as like it feels like when you're watching it, you're actually like almost stepping into the movie halfway from the starting point. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to say in a really bad way. Absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah, it almost feels like he knows like he's great. kind of aware of her already. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like he's already kind of watching her in the rearview mirror or something. Like he's like he's like sort of aware of her periphery earlier on, or it feels like he is. You know, he's expecting her or something. You know, like yeah. he's noticing her more, which but he doesn't he doesn't act on it. So yeah, he feels um, complicit. I I just want to mention briefly about Geraldine, like that like a lot of it is like this the physical performance and like mm. obviously you know her dad's charlie chaplin right so you know, she does it almost like wordless for a lot of it you know like you get so much just from her mannerisms and gestures and her eyes and when she does speak like half the time it feels like she's rehearsed it we see her rehearsing things she's gonna say you know and trying to see norm uh, sound normal yeah it's it's very interesting to watch her like to, just to spend so much time with somebody like that and have that performance be done so well yeah it's uh it, it, it feels rehearsed exactly i mean and it literally is rehearsed because she's trying to be like is this how human beings interact <laughs> yeah. I mean, but i think but see it's also still it really still just ends with such mystery because all i'll say is it can be somewhat explained that she's been in jail for 12 years. Okay, but she wasn't in jail before then, and she's an adult, so she would have been had all those yeah. years under her belt of socialization. But something's wrong. Like, forget jail for a second. Can I give something's you my wrong take? with her already? Yeah, can I, get her can, on. Okay, Please, so, yeah. He, so my, my take on this movie, just from a thematic sort of point of view, is mm. that the movie deals with and another great visual metaphor right in, ter in line with that handcuffs on the mannequin is this idea of um, this movie is all about facade and role playing and past lives. You know, that's a lot what this is about. And I sort of huh. look at her as a shapeshifter in this movie, you know, uh, mm. in a lot of ways. And it's beautifully executed in terms of a metaphor by the beginning of the movie starts in a clothing store where she's trying to appropriate yeah. the look and feel of somebody. And then by the end of the movie, she's also in the clothing store and she looks like a yep. totally different person. And she's now yep. fully come full circle uh, into her former life and what the life she was probably leading in New York City. But 
I will say. Right. Uh, she even calls out there. She says that dress, you know, they ask her if they want to box up that dress. And she yeah. says it never fit me very well anyway. You exactly. know, the dress that she's been wearing for the entire movie. Well, she's shedding the skin. She put on that costume. Well, I mean, if, if, yeah. if I think I, if I'm under, well, I think well, I'm under, Ev- oh, sorry. Um, Evan was talking about the thematic. Um, yeah, I, I just just to put a fine point on it, I was just going to say is like yeah, just the, finish up. the the other the other great visual metaphor to the idea of facade is um, the idea that you know uh, you have Anthony Perkins' character who's building this house, you know, this half finished house, yeah. and it is kind of does. his idea. And then as you learn with his character as well, is you learn that you know here's a guy who's living this kind of false facade of a blue collar worker vibe that mm-hmm. he doesn't even fit into. And she sees this and is like, this is fucking bullshit. We were in New York City living the madman life, you know, where you were stooping your secretary. And so all of this is so false, you know, to Emily. This idea that, you know, he is, uh, had this former past life, which I think this movie is about past lives. Of course, as audience members, we're getting little hints of what their past lives are. We don't even have the full picture. But to me, it's so interesting that, um, through her eyes, he's living this completely false, unhappy, pre- presumably unhappy life, you know, with this very domestic, suburban, whatever you want to call it, life, wherever they're living. And um, she just comes in as this almost like psychic terrorist, you know, <laughs> coming in to disrupt uh, th- this life that he has to kind of... Br- and, and, it, and what's interesting is that that cracks him immediately as soon as they have that beautiful moment in the jail cell, which is a great, dramatic, incredible performance, mm-hmm. that whole scene, but that totally cracks him and sends him right back to his old self. And immediately he loses his job. He starts fucking drinking. His marriage falls apart. And you get that glimpse of Anthony Perkins uh, in sort of, you know, the, the, the sort of mad men, if you will, Manhattan lifestyle of presumably 12 years prior, which is, I think, is just all I'm trying to say is, and I'll shut up, like you say, is this movie is really about the facade and the roles that we play in, in in life. And it's very interesting that she's a shapeshifter throughout this movie in terms of where she starts and where she ends, but it's also kind of about um, the the role that... Uh, that The false facade of Anthony Perkins' character and bringing him back to the way he used to be when they were together. I'm done. Which was not a good place. Right. You know, that's the thing. Well, I think right. I think there's two things going on then, like on, from uh, Anthony's perspective, which is uh, I, I, I'm assuming that he this is a portrait of an unsatisfied person, him, you know, right. uh, it's just it's kind of that's kind of a one on one thing. It's a classic unhappy home kind of thing right. it, it, with a quiet despair, you know, not not volatile. But uh, but what uh, be careful what you wish for in a way, because his, you know, his um angel of darkness that comes in and you know upsets the apple cart of his uh stayed unsatisfying life um is is double-edged is a double-edged sword it's probably exciting it reminds him of his past he probably has you know like wild great sex with the, the chaplain character um but uh what does it get him you know like in, in, in a night of unbelievable alcohol consumption oh my god and uh you know and just and just calamity and then and of course he wakes up and she's gone you know what I mean? In fact, I wrote this down. Uh, so they have sex. She charges his credit card. She loses the wedding ring, and she splits town and you know buys a bunch of dresses. And like, uh, in a way, there's I think two things. I think another big thing is there's two people who want very weird things obsessively, and uh, her obsession is I wouldn't call it revenge. I would call it a she needed a psychic hard break or psychological well sorry i'm actually that's not what i'm saying psychological hard break for herself to say that was then this is now and she i don't think is going to think uh, you know like she's purging their relationship in him that's why you see the uh the the missing wedding ring that's another you guys are talking about this before about this significance of um almost insert shots close-ups and one of the very last things you see is that um, there's a demarcation in her uh, finger, yeah. right, or wedding yeah. wedding finger, yeah. Yeah. of uh, you know the, the the absence of it, you know, with the it's not tanned. So anyway, all I'm saying is this kind of bullshit thing, but like my gut is telling me, this, this is one of my sentences, just um, it's not about him ever. It's about her purging herself of whatever all that stuff was, the person she was with him. 
Right. Like purging uh, the skin, again, this, uh, the shedding of the skin with the uh, with clothing, because I don't think she's going to ever want to see him again, think about him, or anything else. She's going to have a completely different life. She needed to that's, have this exorcism. And it involved, I think that's part it of it. Yeah. One sex act and, and then out. I think that's thing. part of it. I mean, I do think that's an element of it. You know what I mean? Like for sure, like to because she seems so cleansed at the end, and we see her get rid of that dress and try get new clothes, and like she's heading off to somewhere else. She might even be in the desert. She's on Mulholland Drive. She drives off into like heaven, basically at the yeah. very end, right? But but you can't. I think you also can't ignore that. Like she does uh, want a little. She wants to him she doesn't want him to have a happy life because well, she me... sacrificed you know mm-hmm. yeah. um right and like and that you know she so she disrupts his life That's and the... she wants she ends up locking him into like a prison basically when I mean, we see that like happen she has the 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 security sorry evan i know you want to do you want to take this uh no no I, no, no. She, I, I, she has I, i'm security i'm actually lock him in and no, I, yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally... She has a security guard friend lock him in the house, and then mm-hmm. we see that out, the external shot behind the bars, you know, which is mirrored the shot we see earlier. Like, it's a repeated shot at wants, the very end. Of the exterior yeah, of the yeah. We, she wants him locked inside of... Like, she wants him to be separated from his life. No, no, she, what she wants, again, metaphorically, it's, it's, she's a very deep person. She wants to have this very deeply accessed purging and she wants him to not like feel bad, like, oh, I got divorced and fired. She wants him to want her forever and, uh, you know, and to like transfer the, this like uh, this ugly virus of wanting and uh, and give him forever what she's been playing with uh, until she purged it. Like like because he's now cursed with longing and she's going to never, ever be anywhere near him again. And he, I... he'll probably start pursuing her. Or at least I, in his mind, in his heart. In his mind, yeah. I, I, I see. I see what you're saying. I think that there is a little bit more of a of a harder revenge edge to it in in the fact that I do think that she's disrupting this false life that he's living now. I think that's what mm-hmm. sets her off when she starts to come into town and see what he's doing and these flowers. Oh my fucking god! And you know all this right. bullshit that the life that he's living. He's now a, he's now trying to pose as a as a house builder, I don't know, you know, construction worker. No, I know. I, you yeah. know, fuck this. And Drink, but, drinking a beer after work. Yeah, yeah. You know? She she does not want to totally. be with him. She just wants to fuck up his life. And she does a really good job of doing it in a very short amount of time. And she's trying to bait him into it, like, too, like, in the most, you know, she has many different ways oh, of trying to get working into his life, walking well, around the- like a... You know, with the with the outfit on outside, yeah, she tries a lot of things to get his attention. You know, she and mainly as soon as she gets him to. As soon everyone. as they get together, she's like, "All right, start pouring the drinks because this is now is my time to like, you know, right." But get what's, in there. What's brilliant about the performances between the two is the fact that because she does, uh, you know, the power of her seduction, especially in, you know in the bar scene when he just gives up the job and they go drink and they get blitzed, it really does give you a nice little hint. Again, lets the audience use their imagination as to whatever that strong bond they once had. Was. That is what I that. Evan mm. has been that's I mentioned it earlier. That's the main takeaway I've had. That's not just like, oh, I wish I could know more or just, you know, for fun. Uh, and, but I'm glad the film didn't reveal too much about the past. That would have sucked. Flashbacks, whatever. But um, it's very curious to me because here's what I'll say. Forget her. Forget him. They had clearly a very powerful bond. And it's sort of like, you know, in a movie when you, you know what I like? Sometimes there's movies that start where something horrible's happened. And you start the film starts there, and it's these people, and it's it's a lip, it, you don't really quite know what it was, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and this reminds me of that kind of thing where like a bomb went off in in their lives, and it was not her going to jail or anything like that. That was an aftermath. But whatever they had was this incredibly combustible, powerful, probably very dysfunctional relationship that was like too intense. And these people are both fucking nuts in their own way, and they mm-hmm. came together, and it became a nightmare. And we're not seeing the nightmare. We're seeing the aftermath. Uh, was was her prison sentence, and um, and then this little episode here that she needed to do, and uh, you know to to him. Yes, I agree with you. I think it was. I think it's double sided though. I think it's like because there's there's a lot of feeling between them. It, it doesn't feel ice cold to me. Where it's just like I'm getting him back. Like she doesn't have sympathy, I guess, for him because she wants to do these things to his life. 
But but also, I'm going to just totally lay on the BS here. She probably knows him so well that she almost is making this an act for him to get back to who he is because he's living as a zombie in this fake, like you're saying, right, suburban right. lifestyle. And right. maybe she's not even doing it with just pure malice. It's just like, I know you, you fucker. I'm going to shake you up because I know you, um, spider monkey. Yeah. Yeah, and I also I thought that was close. I love that because you feel they're really close. Once you call him Spider Monkey, you do feel it's like you feel that they're history. Close. You know, it's so cool they're that they can just close. use that. They can just use that little pet name to like imply they so much history, and all exactly. of a sudden you feel it in that moment. And it's so sophisticated too to like the way that we mentioned this earlier, but the way that they draw it out until then because. You're not even sure, like if if she's terrorizing him or like unwanted it. You know, he doesn't want it or whatever. Or you know, you're not really sure what their relationship is going to be until that moment, and then you feel to feel that history. You know what I think? And it I is? think that's also like what the helps the music uh, make sense too, in a way. Like you mentioned that this is about past lives, and when we start to learn about their history, we realize like why the music fits. I think it's because like there's a disconnect between this. Alberta Hunter music and I looked into her I guess she did stuff on Broadway in New York you know so it's like it's an older music that doesn't fit the time so well it doesn't fit the locale it doesn't fit her it's cooler music than her walking around in her like ex-prison clothes smoking trying to be cool trying to be normal and you've got this like really slinky sexy kind of like blues Broadway music or whatever playing Um, Marcus I think you know what it is it's music you hear at a bar uh, when you're drinking right yeah right no it is that yeah and i hear that like it's but it's like it's a relic of their past like she's playing the music in her head of like what Mm -hmm. the past was you know and i think that that Mm -hmm. there's this disconnect with the music all all the way until that moment and then it starts to make sense to me like oh okay they were in new york this is the past this is like and the it starts to like kind of gel you know i think that's really brilliant to like put that that forward you know to have the soundtrack be that big a part of the movie you know, mm. and then have it revealed too. It's very smart, I think. But again, we cannot underestimate. I think there's a great significance. Just to clarify for everyone, just as a reminder, they were drinking a bar list, a bar menu from the bottom <laughs> up, and that is an incredible consumption of alcohol. That's and true. Um, and uh, and all I mean by that is just like I think this was incredibly alcohol driven, and that's clear. Yeah. In uh, in, in yeah. that scene, you know, like yeah. like that's yeah. like in a way, I think that's their thing. That's their bonding. It's like, come on, you and me, Alberta well, Hunter in the jukebox. I mean, the martini glasses. The martini glasses teased like earlier in the film. I mean, too. Manhattan in the early in the mid '60s. I mean, is like a you know you don't have to imagine. But right, um, yeah. There's, and then, and there's an amazing like shot that like reveals the martini glass the first time, and it just shows the good, the nice planning and preparation and filmmaking involved, like. He's like up on the like construction platform, you know, and they they're done with the shot and they just pan down out of the shot and then it just like whoop then they pan they kind of like do a pan into the uh, martini glass neon sign for the first time. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like a brilliant like you can see that there's all these little touches of like not just like we're gonna shoot the film and edit it together like there's been there was shot with like intention of like oh, this yeah. is gonna be the wipe and how we yeah, transition yeah, yeah. you know like Gotta there's a place the- for every shot that was shot. G- gotta love the dime store Dantana's also location for that scene as well um but one thing i, I wanted to say <clears throat> real quick just to close <laughs> this loop and let's get out of here is the idea um about the revenge in the movie too i and I, I wanted to see if you guys picked up on this at all uh we talked about it but also something that's subtle in the movie and something that's not explicit and you're kind of left to your own devices on is the idea of when he does explain when um Anthony Perkins explains to his wife in the movie, his current wife in the movie, that, you know, this oh, well, you know, it was a it was an accident meant to look like a murder. And then when you sort of get the other little threads of that, I have Mm. a feeling, too, that he must have done something or provoked something or. Oh, I agree. A catalyst to that involuntary manslaughter. Of course. No, no. She was trying to kill. uh, He probably slept with another chick. Yeah. His he probably slept with another. Yeah. He slept with another woman. And she found out and she tried to kill her and make it look like an accident. No, look, it's really one of the, you know, this film or he, excuse me, Perkins character reveals itself. One of the, one of the few times perfectly is in how he tries to talk away and explain to his wife, like, I know it looks like murder. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, whoa. And I guess it's, it's part of it's enabling her, but also part of it is they have a bond, like they have a bond 
even if she did try to kill someone that's deeper than he'll ever have with the wife we're running out of time and um we should get out of the thematics talk about film technique but i just so we don't miss it i'd like to just get out of the way the thing about um uh anthony perkins real wife who plays his current wife in the film sure this creeped me out i saw this film a second time on tcm <laughs> not long after 9 11. okay bear with me so not long after 9 11 and i had found out in the news of 9 11 that an actress died on the first plane to hit the first tower. It was uh, Barry Berenson, uh, the, the current wife, the short-haired blonde woman uh, in uh, Remember My Name. And I, then I watched Remember My Name again. And uh, for those who observed it, there's this um, really spooky, totally unexplained, but very intentionally done, uh, the sound of uh, jet engines low going across everybody's place you know like uh especially um the perkins household and uh, it's so extra creepy now once you know that yeah um, the, side note but just well the last little oh, bit for some reason every time the news is on i was just two little bundle quick things um the news is always disaster news it's about this huge earthquake which is very odd and again incredibly intentional and yep. i think in akin to the unexplained uh you know use of the uh, the, the jet engines it, TVs are on all the time, and it's always bad news, and it's 99% of the time about this huge earthquake or about depression, you know, sourced from junk food chemicals and, like, just um, being philosophical and bummers. And it's like, this is a weird world of, like, like impending plane crashy sounds and uh, bad news on the TV. I mean, you know, just an observation. And it's extra spooked me when 9-11 happened, like I was saying. But, um, yeah, there's a moment that Barry owns, like, like where her psychology shifts in the film. And there's a, it's the, the loudest plane thing over. It's like, it's like a big moment for her where she's like understanding what's happening with Anthony Perkins or whatever. And like there's this, yeah, that airplane goes right over her head, like in the, you know, just sound audio wise in the film. And yeah, so mm -hmm. it's like, it's deep. Not only is it in the film a lot, it's like connected to that character, which makes it very. You know, when is that? Yeah. Extra weird. I know. Exactly. When is that again? They're in the house. Uh, it's daytime. <laughs> we'll, we'll find it. We'll, we'll find it and roll it back. Um, okay. But it's. You, but, uh, you know, you guys have any thoughts? I mean, like, but even also just the earthquake news. I mean, you can't. It's so demonstrably intentional. It's like, do you guys have any thoughts? I almost don't have any thoughts. But it's just it, the only thing I think of is like it's um, it's this very strange dark rendering of like life on Earth. Yeah. Where it's, it's like the fake. Oh, if you turn news. on the TV, it's bad news. Yeah, it's about the fakest sounding news I've heard in, in a movie. You know, it's almost like it's not yeah. it's weird. It's almost like in everything I've read about it, because I was trying to understand it myself, see what other people were thinking about it. And yeah. people were describing it as like black comedy and comparing it to the film and stuff. And I really? just don't see it. I don't know. It's very odd. I think that's the one thing that like it's interesting that it's there, you know, and that there's like it's like a, there's an earthquake in uh, where Hungary or something, yeah. Budapest, Budapest, and like yeah. it's killed a million people. Right. And that's. But no one's talking about it because they don't feel connected to it. But, but they're it hearing goes, it. They're, it's like the only thing on the airwaves. Evan, do you have any yeah. thoughts? I don't. Like, know. I just found I mean, that a nice quirk of the film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe there is some larger, deeper thematic meaning to that, you know. But I think it is just one of those, yeah, weird kind of esoteric details with the movie. Um, but one thing I think we should talk about because we we sort of mm. started this this loop with. Um, talking about Geraldine uh, <clears throat> uh, in the yeah. uh, deal. Uh, one thing is like, there's like a lot of um, sort of amazing um, reviews that, 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 that she got out of this movie in terms of her performance. Just a couple things just to shout her out and then we can move on and yeah, talk please. about other things. But the SF Chronicle, uh, when the movie came out, said her performance was extraordinary and that... Um, I think this is kind of what you were saying earlier, Marcus, too. She she adopts a unique speech pattern uh, as Emily. She says everything as though she rehearsed it and now blurting it out in what she hopes will be accepted as a reasonable replica of casual speech. That's kind of what you said, Tom. And uh, Emily's manner only loses its furtive dodging quality when she feels in control or when she flies into a rage, you know, and that's just kind of a perfect <laughs> yeah. sort of summation of just her like, natural uh, state. Yeah. How amazing. Well, this is. Can I bring up? Um uh, for kids, if, 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 if you don't mind, just we're having a Geraldine love fest here, and I really want to do that. That's kind of all I care about in a way. It's the heart of the film. Uh, is just um, the scene that really got, caught my eye in the past few years of watching it is the quiet insanity 
of trashing of the flower bed. I'm just reading my note here. But um, that I, there's something about that that I almost had a, a, a stone flashback when I rewatched it again the last few years. And just like, um, uh, it's, I, mean, I guess it's not a tribute to her so much, but she's a component to it. But just, um, it's the quiet unease is really hard to pull off, but he does it so well, especially in that scene. The, 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 her first big salvo of menace towards the wife you know, where she like screws up her car, puts the flower. It's such a, it's very childish, actually. You know what I mean? But it's almost like this is a very scary, silent, uh, menacing child. It's childlike behavior. Yeah. What does she do? Like, right. she's like, like, screw your flower bed, you know? And, uh, and like, I'm going to put this flower in your car. It's like, okay, you know, and, um, <laughs> but uh, she does it. Yeah, but in such a unique way. And um, I think that's mm -hmm. a great scene that exemplifies it. It gets a, it does get a little bigger and escalates with their second encounter, which oh. we all obviously love. And that we could talk about Geraldine there. Um, Do it. It's when, um, yeah, uh, uh, Barry Berenson, the wife, the current wife, is, you know, cutting vegetables, you know, like a housewife. And um, amazingly, beautifully filmed. Uh, almost like horror, uh, uh, Geraldine uh, Chaplin is just walking around the, the uh, unoccupied parts of the house, other than the kitchen where the wife is. And then she just, and this is, this is almost shocking when I first was watching it, uh, was like, uh, she just suddenly goes like, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to be, I'm Geraldine Chaplin and I'm in the hallway or I'm in the doorway <laughs> of the kitchen and then turn around and look at me and it's like, holy shit, you know, and no explanation. And then she just does these little things and I'd love to hear from you guys, but some of the little things she does, um, it, it's, it's parroting and she, she parrots what uh, Barry Berenson says, you know, like, no, 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 you know? And then she also, you know, Berenson just had the knife in her hand because she's cutting uh. vegetables. And she just goes, uh. And then of course, Paige goes, uh, and she holds out a knife of her own and starts kind of laughing. Legitimately Dude, creepy. So Legitimately thoughts? creepy. Yeah, totally. I Brilliant. Mean, it's as good. It's it's like as good as like a horror movie can get and better, but it's you know at another it's, level. It's such an intense scene. You're like on Great. edge. You don't know what she wants, and yeah. you know, but you know she's capable of anything because she's so casually walking around this house. Like she's not afraid of getting caught, you know. And and the th her behavior just keeps escalating. She's not capable afraid of, of being doing caught. Anything. I know. Yeah. yeah. What is yeah. that? It's really reckless. The confidence. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's it's reckless. also like and it's also like too um, her performance in the sequence uh, where she confronts Goldblum, you know, when Goldblum fires mm -hmm. her for you know taking money out of the register. That's so very scary and very real, very true yeah. to life and someone who's unhinged in that way. And yeah. um, that's another and an incredible moment where Goldblum. You know, drops great Goldblum early, like the the seeds of Goldblum here, where he he's like he's <laughs> like he's like. He's like, well, you don't know what it's like to have a mother who, uh, you know, uh, killed your father. So, okay, you know, and it's just like, you right, know, it's right, right, yeah. Fucking no, I mean, all, all, all hail to early Goldblum, you know. Um, I was like, is that his actually, real mother? There's a picture of his mom, and I was like, I wonder if that's his real. Yeah, mom. Yeah, they cut into that, yeah. like Gold, the actor's mom. Can and, I just actually? Um, oh, please, sorry. Go ahead. Let me just, let me just, and, and then don't forget that that scene goes from that, which is incredibly real, insane, to then her just charging off. Going into her colleague's office and kneeing her in the crotch, which is uh, that's when this movie yeah. is on fucking fire. So uh, uh, Alf, yeah. Al, uh, Alfie Woodard, Alfie she's Woodard. amazing. She's um, incredible in this movie too. She's well, great. This is, this, yeah. this is what I, I just wanted to make a side comment. Um, there's something I I, I don't want to sound like I'm insulting Altman, but maybe I am. It's I feel like Rudolph in this film succeeded in ways that um, Altman always wanted to do and tried and did a good job and and at least had maybe it was his idea was to flesh out really small ancillary characters and make them feel really lived in and to do it with great economy, meaning like, like, like it's not just a person who's also working at the shop. Like you kind of know the security guard, right? You know, like yeah. you get to know oh, him yeah. a little bit. You get yeah. to know the guy, the two, uh, well, the guy who's going out with Alfred Woodard, uh, the kind of gross cowboy guy, you kind of get some characterization, very economically done. And I don't even know how they do it, but like you kind yeah. of, He's like a real fleshed out little mini person. And, and, Pike. and, and Jeff Goldblum. There's like, there's and, only two Jeff Goldblum scenes. Yeah. And Pike too. The, the landlord. And, well, of course. And Moses Gunn, who's her neighbor yeah. and kind of a superintendent guy, security guard. And that's, that's actually the, the, the most tender moments she has with him. That's probably all she could muster is like kind of a, a stiff hug and like a sharp, small kiss on the cheek, you know, but she, she liked him, but she was just still using him 
and left town and all that. But like um, another person for her to manipulate, you know. But she he he broke through to her a little bit, and it's kind of sweet and kind of sad. Their little their little thing together. It's like a mini yeah. uh, romance inside the film. And yeah, Moses Gunn That's is awesome. That's a great point. That's the economy of what with which you get to know those characters, know. and and also pointing out that they don't know how I don't know how they do it either. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like if you didn't know, you'd be a master filmmaker. I guess absolutely. You know? I know. <laughs> no, I, I'm in awe of it. You talk to me, guys. Like what? You, like what are some of the components? It's like well it's the uh you know what it's probably all improv and he probably had them like create their own person or something but there's a lot of details like you know she's got a uh, she's got a wig you know uh uh you know the the Woodard. alfred she's yeah. got a what has got a wig we see her without the wig too mm-hmm. you know so we see different stages we see her getting dressed right. we see her we see her like at a very constant moment when she's getting hired, we see her like getting at her lowest moment after she's getting kneed in the crotch by right. Geraldine. You know, like, well, you uh, know what some of it is, is uh, maybe it's how people are different from one person to another. That's what it is. That's, a, that's, that's just, well, it's just a little part of it. It's like, it's so well thought out that it's like, you know, Goldblum's going to be a little bit like this to Woodard's character and then kind of like that to this new employer, employee. It's all complex. It shows the complexity. Yeah. The complexity. Complex, complex social interaction. Oh, it's yeah. so fucking yeah. good. Oh. It's really good. And uh, last last little shout out to Geraldine and then let's move on is uh, the other just great little snippet uh, review of her performance is that um, the Washington Post said she creates something new in the modern pantheon of weirdos. And that's saying something playing opposite of Anthony Perkins. Um, she is yeah. chilling yeah. in her ability to be both guilty and innocent, victim and predator, catatonic and driven by feeling so yes. deep they draw blood. Yes, exactly. And that, that, references to, that references to some of the duality we've been talking about this whole time. Right. About her character where it's not one thing, which is, guess what? Something we shouldn't be so surprised about. A real fleshed out, well written, uh, like like nuanced character, right. and I versus so, a two dimensional character. I know right? it's like <laughs> we were so starved. It's like it just seems like I mean it is a remarkable performance and a screen, screenplay and everything, all of it. The whole film. Yeah. Well, you we were talking tonight. You yeah. were saying before we started recording. Oh, you were, right. You were comparing it to some other uh, 2020 uh, stuff in terms of the uh, 2020s. Well, uh, well, we were railing against. Um, it seems like we all are in accord here at one fucking hour <laughs> about. Uh, and, and I feel very strongly every day more and more lamenting. Um, I call it plot porn. Okay, I'll try to be anecdotal and get out of this quickly. But like, um, yeah, I never watched. Yeah. I never watched uh, Breaking Bad. Um, not. I don't have an opinion either way. Whatever doesn't look like my thing, but whatever. But I. But I love Mr. Show. I love Bob Odenkirk. So I went. All right, I'll watch Better Call Saul. I'll give it a shot. So it's on, and I'm like, okay, he's this guy, and I love Odenkirk, and he's a great actor, and it looks like he's got a nice performance to sink his teeth into. And then it becomes like, he's driving. Oh, he gets intentionally hit by, he intentionally is hitting a, you know, a skateboarding guy. And then the skateboarding actually guy is the brother of this other guy. And then now they're in a basement, and it's like, oh, and then the other guy calls and goes, oh, he's over here. And it's like, oh, now there's a helicopter. And it's like, well, actually, you have to talk to his mom, because his mom is, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, like, his mom, she died three years ago. And I'm like, I hate this. It's all like within one episode. It's plot, it's plot porn, and you guys yeah. know what I mean. Well, the the, the whole and, thing, and, with- and I rail against it. And all I'm to say to button this and make it relate to the film here is, um, remember, my name doesn't have any plot. It's like a you could write it on a napkin. It's just a plot. I mean, you know, it's like what's the plot? It's like this woman gets out of jail after twelve years and stalks her ex husband, and they have a little back and forth, and the movie ends. If you're mm-hmm. talking about the plot. And I'm fine with it. I don't mind yeah. plots, but thoughts. And they plots. still build intrigue and surprise and, and suspense. You know, and, and they, yeah. Even with and suspense, even with that like thin, Loose. you know, three line little plot. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, the whole the whole yeah. thing with Shame. the modern the whole thing with the modern approach is you know what writing it. Your, it's me. just it, it's just writing your character in a corner, man. And how do we get him out of there? You know, and it's just like yeah, and it's, stretching it's, things out and yeah. seeing yes. people. Yeah. And seeing people in peril and how they get out, plans going Serial, wrong and, stuff and like serialization, that, yeah. you know, like tune in yes. next week, tune in next week, you know, yeah, and it has yeah. no, uh, it's just endless yeah. plot evolving. But also I think uh, the real scandal is that, well, in lieu of character development and the hard stuff, everything we've been describing tonight that this film does, you know, seamlessly, um, instead of all that heavy lifting, just like go like, and then his twin brother comes and then like the other guy gets shot and then like, you know, and it's like, and then he's on yeah. the phone with the other, the other guy, here's the other guy on the phone. And it's like, that's easy. 
That's just, well, it's just trying around. to be. It's just trying to be clever. It's trying so hard to be clever. Like yes. Clever cleverness is what you know is 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 what uh, the era yes. we're in. We're in the era of clever, where I think most You're people right. looking looking to make things and looking to uh, be inspired from things watch shit like Remember My Name and start picking up like you know the, the skill set of what you know filmmaking and and also the fact that you mentioned that there is a lot of literary qualities to this movie too, which are totally yeah. gone. I'm glad you in, said that, Mark. In, 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 in Look, of, it's uh, what you know what it's the potential of film. You're seeing. It. Now we have yeah. a few more minutes. Here's here's what we haven't really gotten into so much, and I think Marcus really wanted to chew on this for a little while. But um, technique, uh, like formal filmmaking technique. Now, right off the bat, the director of photography, the cinematographer, is Tak Fujimoto. There's a bit of a legend. If I'm not mistaken, my brain is telling me that um, he did the he lensed um, seconds, which, by the way, we are so doing on one fucking. Did he? I don't think he did. I, I think so. Oh uh... Christ. All right, think, I'm wrong. Okay, oh, no, it's another guy. He might have worked on it, but James he did, Wong? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. But he did do uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is a pretty big monster. Thank you. Help me out here. Um, and, and, I, that is pretty ad- yeah. advanced yeah, some, for that year. You know, like Silence totally. of the Lambs kind of kicks the visual style into the 90s. You know, yeah. so let's, take, let's do it with the 80s, and now we're in the 90s. It like, progresses the form, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's that's Tack. And he had, we were talking, he has some involvement in the look of Badlands, but we're not sure. Yeah, he, he, he worked on Badlands, I think, probably early on in his career, but he went on to Miami Blues. You know, he did uh, a couple of the John Hughes like flicks. You know, um, you know, he did uh, Ferris Bueller. Shit. I mean, he's 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 definitely a real right. deal. Um, but one thing. Well, it looks uh, great. That's all I'm saying. Unless, Marcus, if you if you want to highlight any more of those qualities, I do want to spend well, I'm- a last few minutes when you're done. Uh, to talk about uh, Anthony Perkins, I'm just putting a pin. Yeah, in that. no, I think we should. That's uh, tax awesome. We'll hit him again on another film, but like okay. we got, <laughs> we got, we got to save room for Anthony Perkins. So. Okay. Yeah, I mean so, Anthony Perkins here is incredible, um, and you guys mentioned when we were off the, before we sort of hit record that there's definitely some sort of tangible. Uh, I don't know. He's really vibing on this role a lot for 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 many reasons. So do you want to open that? Uh, oh yeah. Well. Um we were we were bouncing this around uh, before, but yeah. So, um, it, 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 um, look, I don't like talking about someone I don't know in their private life. It's gross to me, um, but of course that's common stock, you know, for decades now. And he, uh, Anthony was particularly private, so I'm not really excited about talking about this stuff. But from my understanding, he was gay, and uh, that is near impossible to do that back then and just live, and much less have a film career. So he was very much closeted. And I think that um, the societal pressures got him into some pretty screwed up headspaces by the early 70s. This is my point. So that by the early 70s, he was being it was being recommended to have really shitty psychotherapy, um, conversion therapy. And um, I think that was uh, that relates to his marriage to Barry Berenson. I think they were very close and they had a really uh, pretty beautiful, real intimate relationship. But I think he still was a gay man. Um, but right. he was sort of I think wearing like the Tab clothing. Hunter wrote that, and yeah, Tab Hunter wrote that in his book that his therapist was like recommended that he have a have sex with women and like get married to one, and like he oh. he hadn't done that till he was like. So, so what I'm saying is, you know, no, so like, what I'm saying is, this film shot in '77, and this is uh, like coming maybe in the middle or towards the end of like uh, the this early to mid '70s chunk where he is wrestling with that situation where he's having his mind brainwashed and fucked by these real creepy, like the kind of people who are like the therapist for like Brian Wilson, like real mm. gross huckster shitheads, you know, manipulative. <laughs> so he was under their spell for a while, uh, or at least this one primary psychotherapist hack. And so it was screwing him up. And right. I, again, I think he was close to Barry. That's why it's so weird. The shadowing of some of this, because uh, him having whatever relationship he wound up having with Barry, is uh, somewhat depicted in the film because they're married in the film. Remember yeah. my name. And I can't say I really know where his head was coming from, but I feel this was probably a very special performance for him. And he was exercising a bunch of feelings mm. uh, and hopefully cycling out of them, maybe even partly through this film. And it's going into the 80s and the last 10 years or so of his life. Um, I would hope so. And, and they stayed yeah, together, yeah. by the way, till he died. Yeah. You know. There's another interesting wrinkle there. I think, like in the film, it's it's really interesting. There's a lot of like masculine, like uh, sort of like energy around Barry too. Like she's got short hair, you know. Mm. She's wearing pants, you know. She's dressed more like male-ish, you know. The um, yeah. the locksmith that comes to meet her is sort of like a male-ish. It's a female, but she's sort of like you know, like a oh, uh, yeah. sort of, but you, you know, more traditional, more traditional job for like men or whatever, you know, so there's a little bit of like 
it's just interesting that like just compared to how Geraldine is like dressing like a sexy kind of woman trying to dress in these like 1940s kind of like sexy, flowy, lots of lipstick and uh, yeah, that's just, a good point. Just yeah. cross comparing that with Barry, who's like short hair, pants, whatever. There's, I don't know what it means, but I just noticed it. You know. Yeah. So um, I, I just I'm going to assume just based on the circumstance of what we can understand of of Anthony's life. Uh, and how hard it must have been um, that he, yeah, again, he, he was working through some things, hopefully, with this role in this film. Um, he's also ripped in this movie, by the way. He's like very, like, oh, he's been working out. Man. He's still very skinny, but boy, his like physique is like uh, <laughs> that. Really that one in. shot where that one shot where he comes out all like lanky and he's like shirtless. Yeah, it's right. A really, right. Yeah. I think wild, he's. I'd say there's he's, a funny picture of them too, like on the mantle, where like he's got his shirt off and like she's yeah. kind of like Barry's kind of like touching his chest. It's a really funny picture that's on yeah, the uh, yeah. kind of. He's kind of seventies cut, I'd say. You know, it's all yeah. relative. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, God, we're, what is it? Uh, got a minute God, twenty. Yeah. This goddamn clock. <laughs> um. I, there's so much more I want to say. This is another horrible example. An hour is just not enough. Uh, I just had some, uh, just the landscape. I could do a half hour on the landscape. I already did, I did blab too much about the, 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 the parking lots of thrifties drugstores. But one thing I want to say is uh, not just the construction. One thing that's kind of a sad visual metaphor is seeing lots of times these unfinished houses, just these skeletons of houses. No, no, yeah. but I know you were saying it one way, and that was great, and I hadn't thought of that. But um, just, the, just the visual metaphor of like these unmade houses always spoke to me and how like empty and the empty there's a lot of emptiness in the film literally and figuratively you know what i mean mm-hmm. there's a lot that doesn't fill the air which is very southern california and very mm-hmm. late 70s you know and i think the metaphor that's so perfect is seeing these barely constructed skeletons of houses um in and the hills in, in the distance you know and it yeah. looks just look beautiful it's beautiful at all levels photography symbolism there's another great yeah. shot where like you know it says he comes out of a bar that says clean air forever like te- like sort of like spray painted on the side of the bar and then like behind him is the giant like oil refinery you know yes and then you have the and then the, it pulls back there's the camera pa- uh uh you know dollies and there's like this parallaxing it's beautiful it's kind of dusky moment yeah dusky, looks yeah. like another planet kind of like uh outland like seeing like Mar- Martian landscape, wow. you know, Second it's a beautiful Outland film reference on the Second Outland reference. All right, we're out of time. Right. I will say is special addendum. If you guys like this film, why don't we start a letter campaign to get it on fucking Blu-ray? I have a feeling that people have probably tried, okay. and, I, and I, I, I have a Me feeling too. that people. Me too. I mean, just now, 2022, you know, just with all these video labels out there, I'm sure people have tried. I bet you're right. Yeah, you're right. Do with the music, you know. But yeah, it might be Alberta I mean, Hunter's music. Yeah, yeah, it might be. But you know, I, I just wanted to say, I mean, fucking killer movie. Uh, like I said last it's week, it's so we good. It up, like yeah, when, when we tease it up, it's it's literally. I mean, it is a gem in every sense of the word. I mean, this is what a, when I think of a '70s gem, I think of this movie. So everybody, Absolutely. go check it out. DM us if you want a copy. I mean, if you want to see it, yeah. I mean, you know, I, we'll definitely possible recommendation. Yeah, we'll definitely point you in the right direction. We don't advocate you know edibles and this movie, but. Uh, uh, definitely, no, I didn't uh, say that. Okay. <laughs> like, it, no, it, it it talked me down beautifully, and I oh, had it a, a, like almost. Re- no, that's what I'm saying. I, I panicked, and then I just calmed down when it started. I turned it on the TV. Like, yeah. um, it spoke to me. Um, no, I had a religious experience with a movie. And you know, t- f- from time to time, it does play uh, in theaters. Sometimes you can catch it uh, randomly. I think um, I think it played at BAM in, in Brooklyn. Sometimes it plays. Sure. Definitely, definitely go check it out because this movie with yeah. an audience also rips uh, as well. I hadn't done um, that. You, you did that. You seen it with yes. an audience? I never have. Yes. Oh, it's incredible. Oh no, sorry. It played at. Um, it played at. What's the other fucking cool kids in Manhattan now? That everybody. Uh, uh, fucking uh, um, me- uh, Metrograph. Metrograph. Uh, oh, of course, I could see them playing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, good for them. But good for them. Anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. I just wanted to say one thing about last week uh, about our goof goofballs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> April Fool's thing. Shout out! Shout out to my to my poor friend Ryan, who's a uh, longtime listener of One Fucking Hour. By the way, he's always Uh-oh. checking out checking out the uh, every every week. He's uh, watching the episodes and following hey, Ryan. Along. He he uh, he's he, he watched Remember My Name uh, in, in preparation for this week's episode. Great. But cool. he sent me a Uh-oh. text message the other day saying, um, quote, was thinking I made it through April Fool's unscathed until I watched Garden State the other night. Uh, <laughs> no, does he mean he, he mean he watched our episode? 
<laughs> no, the film, no. the movie. Um, <laughs> oh my god, that's a dirty trick. Well, listen, uh, goes, when we thought about this, remember my name. Well, is a cleanser and redeems yeah. us. Like, yes. like, like, you're welcome. Like, it, it, it annihilates Garden State on this like cosmic level. Like the, like the Garden State particles like pop and, and disappear when you watch. No, it. no, you'll never get those two hours no. back, Brian. No, no, he says. I, I think <laughs> the best you can try is remember my name. That's all. No, he says. He says. Um, sorry. So then, sorry. The second sentence is he says. Um, was actually looking forward to you guys ripping it apart. Ha ha. Right. You definitely got me on that one. So, um, nice. sorry, well, you know Ryan. what the punchline might be. What? Well, let's do it. Sorry. Well, uh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> Don't State. tempt us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, might be something there. Yeah, totally. You know? Well, we said a thousand subscribers. If we get to a thousand subscribers on the YouTube channel, we will fucking do Garden State, Ryan. So. Uh, That's spread right. the word. Naked. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, but um, let's talk about what is next week, everybody, because I'm really excited about yeah. next week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since we've done a doc, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting back into that. I think I think without thinking too hard that our last documentary I we know. did, I think was um, what the fuck's it called again? Um, o- overnight. Final tap. Overnight. Overalls. Overalls. <laughs> overalls. That's right. The uh, making. The chronicling the making of Boondot Sakes. What a fucking right. uh, ride that is. If you haven't seen that one, it's in the archives. But next week, we're getting down with one of my favorite movies of all time. Seriously, probably a top 10 film for me. Very close, if not. Um, yeah, that's great. And that is, uh, and I have my prop for it, uh, we're going to be looking at the documentary Streetwise. Boom. Ooh, you got the book. It's great. Yes. Yeah, I, I, guys, I can't believe, um, you know, we're all big fans of docs, and we talk about them a lot, you know, like at, at the at the lunch counter I made and uh, we just don't do them. Yeah, exactly. He's, he makes ducks on the television set and like, let's do some docs guys. What the hell? So this will be uh, a, you know, back to the well with do- yeah. the documentary form. And I'm very excited and it's a great film and maybe we'll learn, uh, you know, tricks about ordering pizzas and stuff. And, and <laughs> well, we should, we should set it up properly and say that, you know, it is a very harrowing uh, documentary, brilliantly made, incredibly well uh, photographed one of the so best good. photograph documentaries probably ever uh from from Absolutely. 1984 um of course it's sort of you know based upon the uh photography uh that's captured in this beautiful uh book here this monograph mm-hmm. um, it's got just about all the people that are in photoed in, in the book are in the film right more or less correct more or less it, yeah so it's just a real uh, gritty slice of like uh, slice of life documentary about uh Slice of life about uh, teenager street kids living uh, in Seattle uh, in the 80s. Uh, it, 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 it definitely goes places that are uh, you know disturbing and stuff. But I mean, it's yeah. an incredibly. But it's got a great emotional impact on many levels, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So we're going to so, do that. And-, and it is available. It's fucking available. Criterion. Uh, if you got the Criterion app, it's definitely on there. So go check it out. Um, but I'm sure it's available. Everybody else. Uh, it wasn't for a long time, but now it is. So streetwise. 1984. Right. We'll see you next week with that, guys. Uh, Marcus, anything you need to say to the good people before we uh, get out of here? I love you. <laughs> okay, that was All supposed right. to be a low. Marcus loves. Marcus <laughs> loves his people. Okay, he's the love guru now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we can't let you go. We can't can't let you go without your goddamn moment of Zen, which will be uh, playing for you right now. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a good rest of your weekend. All right. Take care. So long. Solitary, wide my world, narrow my bed, never, never. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Eighty-six bucks and nuts office tomorrow morning, Rita.